It says, woe to you. You gatekeep the kingdom of God and you don't even come in yourself. Woe to you. You go to great lengths to do mission work, but the gospel you bring to the converted looks like nothing I ever suggested. Woe to you. Your allegiance is to the structure of the church and not of the heart of those seeking mercy. Woe to you. You are expert at the letter of the law, and yet you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Woe to you. Your highest concern is your image, but your insides are filthy. Woe to you. You are full of death, and all you want to do is make that death look pretty. Woe to you. You act like you are better than your history, and yet you murder my messengers still to this day. This is not as it should be, but it will be this way until you listen to the voices of those who cry out and until you welcome them and do what they say. I'm not coming back until you listen. You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. Welcome. Welcome to the digital. No, I'm sorry. Hey, y'all, welcome to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast, uh, part of the Church Digital Network. Sarah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm messing this up. It's perfect. I'm not doing it, so I love it. Okay. All right. Uh, let's let's give that one more go. Hey y'all, welcome once again to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast, part of the Church Digital Podcast Network. Uh, love being part of that network. Love being part of the exploration of what digital online ministry can look like. Today we've got I've got my co-host Sarah. Hey hey. Uh, I'm Hector. I didn't even say my name this time. Uh, I, I feel like my shtick is every single time I say this differently. Uh, so I'm Hector. That's Sarah. Yep. And today we've got our friend Keith Meyer on. Hey, Keith. Hey. Uh, most of you may know Keith as Pasta Keith. Thanks for being on the show with us today, Keith. You know, I get I get messages from folks occasionally, and they're like, "Do you really like pasta? Like, is that the do you eat pasta all the time?" And I said, "No. You know, I grew up. I grew up in New Jersey." Uh, I grew up in a church that was full of a lot of like old World War II vets, like mm. Italian guys, and they would be like, hey, Pastor Keith, you know, and so it was just like a thing. Um, so, yeah, Pastor Keith. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and there were there, there have been times where I was, I'm like, man, I should just go with something a little more professional, you know, but. I've had it like since the beginning, like when other people were like unicorn girl, two, two, three, eight, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's just been, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> so. Never, never changed that. I think it's perfect. Yeah. I love it. So Keith, um, let's start out with who are you? Like, who are your people? What's your world? What, you know, what's around you? Tell me that. Sure. Um, I've been a pastor for uh, I'm 18 years now. I went to a, a non-Southern Baptist seminary, CIU, Columbia International University in South Carolina. Big missions emphasis there. Um, my mentor told me to, to, to go there. He said, if you want to learn to be like a brilliant Bible scholar, go to Trinity. He said, if you want to learn to uh, preach like Chuck Swindoll, go to Dallas. He said, but if you want to learn where a pastor fits in the food chain of what God's doing in the world, go to CIU. It's primarily a mission school. 
Um, and so they send a lot of missionaries out, a lot of international students come there to learn. Uh, and it, I don't know, the faculty is theologically diverse, but focused on, on missions. And so that really shaped me. Um, so for, for the last 15 years, I've been the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church here in Salisbury, Maryland. Um, which is a, a Southern Baptist church, Southern Baptist affiliated church. And for the last four years, I've been the director of mission for something called the Eastern Baptist Association, which is about 40 churches. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a regional organization. We're affiliated with Maryland and Delaware, which is about 400 churches. Um, so that's kind of who I am professionally. Um, I got four boys, Sam, Jack, and Max. Um, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I Sam, Jack, Max, Hank, sorry, he'd be upset if maybe you edit that. Hector, last episode that I listened to, you were like, maybe I'll edit that out. And you skipped on saying it. You know, Hank, I love you. He won't listen to this. Maybe he will. I don't know. Um, but uh, he's in school right now. Um, so I got four boys, been married. Um, since 1996 to my lovely wife, Nancy, who is just a, a constant joy to me. She still laughs at my jokes and uh, she's probably the, the, the best like normal wisdom voice I've got in my life. You know, I get all wrapped up in complications and details and she's like, what about thinking about it this way? And so I thank God for her. She's just been, she's been amazing. So, um, I was going to say, I call, I, I, I don't know why on Twitter, I always call them the lads. I, I don't ever use their real names, but it's not like a privacy thing. It's just like a shtick. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. So yeah. Was that too much, too oh, little? Do I need to say anything more about who I am? Um, okay. I wanted to know also what platforms you're on and what's your preferred platform. Um, I've been on, I've been on fate. I, I'd say I feel like I wasted so much time on Facebook. I like, I used, I don't remember what email I used to get on Facebook, but I got on when you only could, you get on with a school ID, you know? Um, and so I've been, I've been on social media. I got on Twitter and didn't understand it. Um, and so I spent a lot of time in Facebook, but I really, I, I really just got, I got tired of the animosity right around, um, after when when uh, when the election and all the January 6th stuff and it just it was just like wow are we really are we really this nuts about masks and stuff like what is happening uh, so I, I bailed on Facebook and I said I'm gonna give Twitter a try and uh, I've just really I've really been shocked at the, the networking you know like the number of people who want to talk about things and connect and um, I found a lot of really reasonable, smart, sharp, funny, enjoyable people. Um, there's a lot of bizarre, argumentative, strange people. But I mean, in the midst of it, it's just been, I, I don't know, I've made some real amazing connections that have been encouraging to me. And SBC life, you know, I didn't realize how, how many people in the Southern Baptist Convention were on twitter and talking about stuff it just it never occurred to me so mm, yeah well so let's let's get into a little bit about about twitter um one i i agree with you just the amount of people that are on talking and sharing ideas is is pretty profound uh, rather than just sharing kind of just 
here's an opinion I have. Let me shout it as loud as I can over and over. Um, <clears throat> but I, I love uh, just what you said about, you know, the, the fact that you can learn and see these different groups of people who are trying to network. Um, okay, so the other day on Twitter, though, you posted, hey, I've had, I've had my head in local work for 16 years. Jumping on Twitter and seeing the drama has been a lot. Tell us a little bit about your local work, what it has been. And then what is it that you've been seeing online that has moved you to be more active in that space within your denomination? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've always, you know, I, I walked into a church in 2007 that was a church plant. It grew and, and was very, very successful, but there wasn't a lot of theological foundation. And I think that led to there being a lack of, of, of real love and forbearance and the church split. Um, and the church was in trouble. So I spent, um, you know, spent a number of years just kind of getting the church back on its feet again. And we've been, we've been stable for a while. We, we had to leave behind our facility because of, of it was just so expensive. We moved. Um, those, of, those seasons have been particularly enjoyable, like fixing something that's broken, having a real problem. I know a lot of people, you know, talk about the isolation of COVID. And, and the, you know, the stress of that, but I'll be honest, the ministry aspect of it was actually really enjoyable for me. My, my, my son was, uh, my third born was 16 at the time. We got to rip our whole sound system apart, rewire things. Like, um, we started streaming, uh, that was, it was like, it was a fun problem to work on you know, and, and we, we just had a great experience getting the church ready for live streaming. Um, and I, I think that's kind of been the way that I've related to the local church and the, the local work that we're doing in Maryland, uh, problem solver. So, um, you know, I, I got involved in our, our local, um, in our local, uh, Baptist association, and a lot of what I've tried to do is to go into churches where, say, the pastor's left um, and, and people are fighting. And I say, hey, you know, like, what's really important here? Let's work towards uh, creating some stability. Let's get to forgiveness. Let's uh, focus on the mission. Let's find you a leader. You know, let's do the hard work so that when your leader comes in, you're not still fighting and arguing with one another. Um, it It's... It's fun. I, I let me let me let me stop using the word fun. It brings me deep joy to walk into a situation that feels chaotic, like it can't be recovered, and to say, "Hey, you know what I mean?" In, in Christ, you guys have have uh, you have something that can help you overcome these difficulties. You can you can move on to loving one another, understanding one another, and sometimes the tension in churches is so high and it's like you guys don't even realize you're 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 fighting but you don't really disagree about that much like let's just let's move on um so so local work has been local baptist association stuff but then we have a state organization um and uh, and trying to connect people who want to do disaster relief work or missions work and uh we 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 um have a kind of a community benevolence in our state and association for, for ministry workers. You know, when somebody runs into trouble 
being able to, to, to try to figure out how do we help this person? Um, sitting down with a pastor over a cup of coffee and at the end of the conversation say, Hey, you know what? We can, we can help you get counseling. Um, and then getting them connected. Uh, that's that to me, that's really the life of connected associational work. And, and that, (laughs) this is, this is where it comes down to what I said to, to Sarah. Uh, I spent about 16 years doing that and thinking like, Southern Baptist life is amazing. And then I jump on Twitter and I'm like, what is happening? Like it, that, that, that gif from Zoolander, right? What is everybody taking crazy pills? Like what is happening here? Um, and I just, I don't know. I kind of feel like, wow, I need to get involved in this because this is not the family I know, you know, mm. we're better than this. And yeah. so. That's local work, and then kind of uh, what what I'm what I've been witnessing and seeing. Uh, just the it seems like there's a lot of animosity and hostility, and forgetting forgetting the mission, you know, forgetting forgetting that we're going to live in community together forever, <laughs> and you know, why not act like it? Why not act like we love each other? I love hearing the way that like what God gave you like to put your hands on immediately in the small has just built and it's developed who you are as a person, what delights you. He's allowed um, to use to develop the local church and, and in in observing you, I see that as developing the the greater church and how you engage online and, and things like that. Yeah. What? What? Can I? Can I say something about authority? And there's something different about authority on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the things we see. We see a lot of, a lot of the people who I don't think fare very well. In in, I don't even know how to describe our crowd, like the three of us, whatever it is that makes us connected. I don't know what our category is. Um, I don't quite think that weird Christian Twitter like covered it because that was I, I don't know my my maybe one day like I'll write a retrospective on weird my experience with weird Christian Twitter but um, it probably won't be that important the the way that authority works in the local church is that you can say this is what we're gonna do and because of your position and your role people listen to you and obey you right you have you have power and responsibilities none of that exists on twitter mm-hmm. there are no you may be a senior pastor in your church but there are, there's no senior pastor of twitter so you you have to use influence you know and and i i think that you you can use influence that's based on fear and demand and bossing people around and constantly quoting scripture at them and saying that they're terrible, awful, horrible people. Or, or you can say things like, you know, I think that you, you're amazing, you know, thank you for this insight, or I never thought of that. Could you explain more? Or let's talk more about like, I've, I've just found so much connection in saying, I don't think I understand what you're saying. Would you tell me more about that? Or, you know, DMing somebody and saying, 
I, you know, I don't know that you're quite understanding what I'm talking about. Like I genuinely, I want to learn more. Please talk to me about this. And, and all of a sudden you've got conversations and friendships. It's, I don't know. It's, 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 it's not pulling people along um, as much as it is agreeing to head somewhere together. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. So like, I really can relate to that. I mean, the, the idea of, um, how different authority is in person versus online. I mean, it hasn't been 24 hours since you guys saw someone um, feel like they had a place of authority over me. I'd never talked to this person before. They felt like they had a place of authority over me because I'm a woman and should submit to their authority as a man. And I should got my voice so that they can have, um, so that what they say would be right. And I would stop arguing. Um, but I'm not from a tradition that believes that women should remain silent and submit all um, authority to men in the presence of men and otherwise, you know, they should, should keep sweet otherwise. Um, that's not my tradition. And so um, because there's such a mix of traditions, there are people who have been trained into a certain behavioral pattern that's expected of them as they are in their in-person context. But there's also like that, that person can't take away access from me. So in, mm. in an in-person model, like a, a man might say, no, women aren't allowed to speak and then deny me all opportunity. But on Twitter, um, men might tell me you can't speak and the most they can do is block or mute me, say you can't speak to me, which is fine. If they don't, not my voice isn't for everybody and that's fine by me, but I'm not going to block and mute myself for the pleasure of someone, you know, I've never met who has no investment in my life and isn't going to invest in me further and hasn't shown me any care or kindness, but I'm, perfectly willing to have a conversation with somebody who thinks differently than me or holds a different theological tradition than me, perfectly willing to have open, um, kind, respectful dialogue with anybody. Um, but I, I'm certainly, you know, the, the function or the, the way social media works is you can't turn somebody else's mic off. So. I think the, the authority is taken away because there's no, the person who wants the authority has no way to press that authority upon the other person. I think you're right. And, and uh, there are, what, what I think is, is super interesting about Twitter is that, that like even, even, you know, just coming from SBC, SBC Twitter has got all these subsets to it. You know, SBC Twitter overlaps into other other traditions. And, and, and so even if there are people with a super loud microphone who are screaming, like you've got these accounts with 100,000 followers or a million followers, your, your, your voice can still make it out there and you can still talk to your community without those people. It doesn't matter how loud they turn up the volume everyone can still hear you. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so, so there's a, 
I think there's a sense of equalization that's powerful. And I, when I go back on Facebook, and I've been trying to be more intentional on, on Facebook, particularly um, just because a, a, a good portion of the, the pastors that I interact with and you know a lot of my church people are on Facebook, so I'm, I'm trying to like pay a bit more attention there. When I go on Facebook, I'm kind of like, wait a minute. Like, where are all the other people? Like, why am I just consigned? Well, I'm confined to this group of my friends. Like, this is not, like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've gone from like off roading or flying to like, I feel like I'm, I don't know, like I'm, I'm on one of those, like, one of those cattle things that they set up like at the airport when you try to get on the plane. You know, I'm like, I feel so hemmed in. You know, yeah. I feel like I'm in prison on Facebook. No. Um, Twitter's just like, here I am shouting into the void. And, you know, unicorn girl two two three three likes what I just said. Like, who is this person? Um, you know, that's just amazing. I love that. Yeah. So, um, your context is the SBC. Um, that's not my context. And so, you talked about coming on Twitter and being like, "Oh, what is happening in SBC Twitter?" And I came on Twitter and was very much like, "What is?" what is the SBC and what is, you know, what it is about the SBC that we're all paying so much attention to them. Um, and so for the context of our conversation, we are going to discuss SBC thing, but sure. I also want it to be clear that this, that the things that we're talking about are not limited to the SBC. And so right. um, the things that we've seen in the past few weeks with um and this has been national news um, with the um, 20 years, we found out there's about 20 years of hiding um, sexual abuse and covering up and changing stories and things like that. In the same week, you know, I've gotten on TikTok and watched a video from a, I think they're, I think it's a Church of God church. It's a different denomination where a pastor has stood up and said, 20 years ago, I committed adultery and I'm letting you know I'm stepping down and I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. And then um, after he steps off, a young lady steps up and says, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't adultery. I was a teenager. And mm. um, so, it, it, and we also, this has gone at the same time that we have watched um, the very public fall of um, Josh Duggar and um, the things surrounding him, which is a different denomination. Um, and we, so we see that this, the, the things that are happening are beyond one denomination. That's right. And so we will talk about SBC things, but I want like to be really clear that this is not just an SBC issue. And it's sort of like, I think about, we talk about your social media as being a, a pulpit in your pocket. Um, and so I think about like, you can, there's always the joke about, or somebody has the story about the time that the pastor had their mic on and then they went to the bathroom and just everybody in the sanctuary heard them going to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is almost as if everybody with their pulpits in their pockets have headed off to the bathroom and everybody is hearing way too much. Um, and it's, it's not nice. It's not polite. And not just the church as a structure, but also individuals. And the other thing we want to be clear about is that we're not interested in having a conversation on how the church can improve her image online that is sure. not rooted in the deep 
deep work of making, making things right and to fix the injustice within herself. So in every corner of the church, we desire to see God honored and his image honored in all people. Do you guys know, um, I think I, I, I've never said his name out loud, um, so I may ma- massacre it, but he's got the cat, uh, the cat fighter pilot icon, Tim Megan Poosh, Meg, Megan Poosh. You know that name? Yeah. He, he does a thing. Um, there's this grid that he uses. That's, um, like, uh, when, when, when prominent leaders make statements about what has been uncovered, they do image repair and he's got this analysis tool that he uses. He's so good. His account is locked. Um, so he's, he's private for some reason. I, he kind of, it's like a Batman thing. I think like, you know, I, I only let certain people into, you know, the, the bat cave, but man, he, he, he talks about, you know, minimization and uh, min- just, just the idea that so often the statements that are made are let's move on instead of let's dig in to, to what happened here. And that's just image repair. Personally, you know, I'm not interested in image repair. I'm interested in like, if I've, I've thrown, I've thrown almost 20 years of my professional life into the SBC. And for the most part, the, the two things that, that we're, we're taking a beating for now online, slavery and, and sex abuse are two things I haven't had any, like there, there's been no, there's been no, uh, 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 participation in those things on a on a group level, and so I feel I feel very distant from them. But I also feel responsible because this comes out under under my banner. So I'm like, man, root it out. Let's deal with it. Get back to like, deal with it in a in a tangible way, and get back on to get back to the mission. But the thing about the SBC, I think, is that we're so big that we're almost synonymous with uh with evangelicalism you know i mean like and and i think that one of the reasons why there's so much interest in the direction of the sbc is because we're probably the one of the largest political voting blocks in the country and so you know as goes the ethics and emphasis of the sbc so goes evangelicalism's votes you know and so it's 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 forty-seven thousand churches we have we have twelve entities. We we educate two thirds of America's seminary students. Um, the we we've got thirty five hundred I think missionaries overseas with the International Mission Board, fully funded, no fundraising. That's like totally different missions model than a lot of agencies. Twenty five hundred missionaries who are involved in church planning in North America. It's massive. It's it's the biggest thing. Like people don't even understand the scope of it. Uh, and then there's 41 entities. I'm a I'm a regional, you know, director. I have no authority over these churches. I just I I, I try to help them. But there's 1600. I actually think the number I could look it up. It's like in the 1680s, which is kind of funny. Um, you know, the closest you get to 1689. But there's 1600 associations. It's huge. And so when something happens in the SBC, it just you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're not just, you're, you're, you're dropping something big and heavy in the pool. You know, the splash is huge. So yeah, it just kind of dominates social media. Um, yeah. 
I, I do think that, so to the, the microphone that's on in the bathroom thing, I think that, I think that this is what a lot of people, even people who are critical of the SBC who are inside of it, I think a lot of what we're saying when we talk about the SBC is we are saying we're the best. Like we are the best. We have the right, we have the right theology. And 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 even within, it's like we have the rightest theology or the correctest theology. And if everybody else would just get on board with us, the mission would surge forward and we'd finish the mission. We're we're the biggest, we're the best. And it's I just I feel like that's been stripped away. You know, there's a lot to look at and to say, like what's been done in our name here. And 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 it's it, it may have been a small number of people who um who covered for pastors and church leaders who've abused people. It may be a very small number of people, but the effect has been great. The 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 battle to 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 get this information out there has been loud and 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 folks like Krista Brown and Tiffany Thigpen have fought for years to be heard and they've been ignored and then you read in a report where our legal counsel was telling our leaders just say nothing just don't call just don't respond you know you look at your leadership structure and you think like oh my goodness you're the you're the priest and the Levite. You crossed over the road for all. You made a choice to take us all over the other side of the road. Like, that's not my my image of myself as a pastor is to try to be the good Samaritan. You know, mm. like, I, I want to be the good Samaritan in your life. I do not want to cross over the other side of the road. And that's what's been done in our name. And I, I think so there's a. I've. Okay, so last thing, and then I'll shut up for a minute. I've been advised by a survivor when when somebody messaged me and said, look, one of the things that abusers do is they get you to take their guilt upon yourself. And so I I do feel like there's a there's there's something in me that's saying, yes, you know, there needs to be public contrition and repentance and, and not moving on and just image repair. But at the same time, I don't want to act like I'm so guilty of this. Like I, we've we've done a good job in our church on on this issue. You know, our I think our state is doing a good job. Like I'm I'm I don't want to take false guilt and false humility on myself. I think we ought to be we ought to be sad, but I don't want to I don't want someone to shift the blame onto people who are trying to do the good thing and you get so absorbed in um you get so absorbed in dealing with the shame of it that you don't turn and say, we need to do something about this. You know, we need to, we need to act and we need to correct. I think that's, that's true. Repentance is saying we're, we're, we're fixing this. We're going to do what we can. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's been a very emotional week for me just reading this report and uh, I've, I've processed and thrown a lot out on Twitter you know, a lot of my, just kind of my, my grief takes or my anger takes. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, and I think it's important, you know, we're talking about real wrongs, right? Like we're, we're not trying to say that it's, it's over there and it's not us. We're also not trying to say that, well, it is us. And so I've got to do the, like, as long as I do the repenting, as long as I do the work, then like, problem solved right um but there really is this idea 
um, that, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this, this is real, real problems and it's bigger than, than just us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. I I'm live looking at a document. And so that's why I got, I was messing with it. Sorry. um, so, so these wrong, the wrongs are real. And so it, Keith, right. It can be tempting to say, well, let's just smash all the cups to pieces. Like let's just knock over the China cabinet. Right. And yeah. um, smash filthy cups, smash everything. But the truth is that God cares about the church. It's not that God loves the SBC or God loves the Nazarenes or God loves non-denoms, right? God cares about the church. His he does. Yeah. And so when you look at the cup that God has handed you and you see that it's filthy and that those who share this cup with you, they're broadcasting and singing praises of or defending its filth. How do we go about process of cleaning, right? What do we get to do or what do we do to get people to stop singing false praises and actually listen like, hey, this is a filthy cup? What are your thoughts on that? Wow. Um, I, I think that this is one of the places where social media I think this is this is this is probably the biggest danger. You know, this is probably the biggest liability of social media is that it's very easy for someone to say things like, you know, and I've seen these statements. Um, oh, we're setting up an abuse, a, a witch hunt for abuse, where everybody who is unacceptable is going to be accused of something. You know, this is the Me Too monster out of control. Um, I was just I was just swapping. Uh, memories with somebody who in my church who posted something about me too back in 2017 and and it it just struck me and i i sat down and said what can i say about this like what is this and you know i mean what are we so so what is that 2017 we're how many years into me too five years then has it been a monster has has women finding their voice and saying me too been a monster for the church or has it been empowering you know has it has it i i think about um there there have been a few women who in in pastoral counseling are encouraging them i've recommended them read uh rachel den hollander's book what what is a girl worth where one of the things and i'd love to ask her this question sometime i wonder if she did this intentionally or if this is just a side effect the book as a as a character in her own book, she finds her voice to speak up and to, you know, she finds her courage and she begins to speak out and advocate. And what I've seen is is that women who've read this have had the same experience where they've said, I'm gonna fight back, I'm gonna push back. Is that is that monstrous? Um what what I've seen push pushback on the report is they say things like, well, we didn't learn anything new. We knew all the stories of the, these survivors before. But yeah, we didn't know what the problem was. We didn't know, we, we didn't quite know, why can't we make any progress on this? It's because our, our lawyers and our leaders were lying to us and, and not, not, not answer. And so, so I think part of cleaning the cup, the analogy is 
is being willing to 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 say over and over again, no, that's not what that's not what happened. You know, mm. that's not what we learned. That's um, man, online ministry verse Second uh, Timothy two twenty four, where Paul says the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but must he needs to be kind, patient teaching all of his opponents what when i when i was preaching through second timothy opponents doesn't necessarily mean people he disagrees with it means people who rise up and and, and oppose you know somebody who gets in in your way do you just run them over no the goal is um is to be kind and patient to teach them because god might grant them repentance and i'm not i'm not saying everybody who disagrees with me online needs to repent that's ridiculously arrogant but but man, like if if you want to in good faith engage me on this and say this report doesn't tell us anything new, I I feel like I got to stop. I got to take a minute out of my day and say, nah, man, like this is what happened. This is what we learned. You know, look at this. Look at this thread over here. Consider this, um, and and try to get them to see um, what <laughs> part of. Part of what complicates SBC things is we go we go to Anaheim. Uh, we'll be there the 14th and the 15th in our meeting, and people make motions, and and the meeting can go any which way, you know. I mean, depending on on who speaks and how people vote, and just group dynamics, and are people sleepy? Are most people in the room? Are they you know are they late getting back from lunch? What's happening? Uh, and so I think that creates a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen right now. I think everybody's kind of on edge, like what's going to happen in Anaheim. Um, but when it comes to to bringing change, um, uh, my friend Brad and I we reconnected on on social media. Uh, he lives. He lives over the over the bridge. We live about two hours from one another. And I, when all this was going down last year, I said, "Hey, we're going to our annual meeting in the state. You know, do you want to do something or say something?" And we we put together a statement. You know how we we expected our state to respond against sex abuse. And lo and behold, when this statement was unanimously adopted by folks in our state, um, state leadership reached out and said, do you guys want to put together a task force? And we've been meeting since November and I've been sharing a lot of things that I've gathered and picked up from survivors on, on Twitter. One of the things I've realized, like if you, if you speak nicely to people and don't try to be right all the time, they'll actually start talking to you. And so I, I don't know, I've been in the DMS with folks for, for a lot saying, Hey, you know, here's what we're thinking. Here's, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about making this policy change. What do you think about that? And sometimes they say, that doesn't interest me, but it, it has some relevance in our state, you know, in our system. Or sometimes they say, why not think about this? It's like, that's brilliant. So I, let, me, let me draw this all, all to a close because I feel like I've gotten super abstract here. What, what we do in Maryland and Delaware um, what we're doing, our state director, he said it on social media, so I don't feel like I'm gossiping or anything here. He's saying by 2024 or 2023, if you don't have child protection policies in place and you're not willing to adapt policies and do background checks, we're moving on. We're leaving you behind. Like We're not going to affiliate mm -hmm. with you anymore. 
Yeah. Let me tell you, in a in a in a denomination that's seeing decline in baptisms and decline in attendance, and we we haven't quite seen decline in giving yet. We're still we're still on the increase. You don't you don't leave partners behind. Nobody nobody in Baptist life is saying we're going to leave you behind. But we have a new state director, and he's like he's not afraid to say if you're not on board with protecting the vulnerable, we're not interested in being friends with you and working with you. And where did all that come from? I mean, that's him. That's his, this is his leadership style. But a lot of what my buddy Brad and I have absorbed and learned, and we're, we're picking it up on Twitter and social media and, and, and reaching out to people and, and saying, Hey, talk to me more about this. And, uh, and so, so I think, I think one of the ways that you clean the cup is, is, is particularly in the SBC is you get super local and you say, you say, hey, let's all clean our cups. And when a bunch of people say, we're cleaning our cups, you, you start talking about it and you talk about the tangible things that you're doing. And then other people start talking about it. It, yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, these ideas can spread just like it's just like me, too. You know, um, and you said that, like, you don't think this is gossip. If that is gossip, that is gossip that needs to spread. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, like that should be that should that's a non-negotiable that should be in the rear view mirror. Like, yeah, let's get that done. So yeah. let, let me, let me say one other thing, right? There's a lot of people who are saying that, that procedures and statements and policy changes aren't going to change anything. Right. And I was, I was, I was, I was having a moment about two months ago because I was just getting frustrated, you know, and I want to, I don't know if you guys experienced this. I just, I want to like reach into everybody on Twitter's souls and just like adjust them a little bit. Like everybody just stop, you know, like, please, like, let's all just get to my way of thinking and, and everything will be better. But that's manipulation, whatever. So I was listening to all these people say, you know, the, effectively like thoughts and prayers are not enough in the SBC. And I said, I'm going to do something different. And what I, what I did is I talked about the chair of our task force, Tom, Tom Stoll. He's got an autistic son named Jimmy. Tom talks about Jimmy all the time. Jimmy's 21. He is nonverbal. He uh, can't use the bathroom on his own. You know, like he, he wears the autistic headphones and, you know, the, the, the headphones. And, and one of the reasons why Tom is so highly motivated by this is he says that the that the statistics out there that are that say that um, if if you are somebody with I'm going to mess up these stats if you're somebody with disability if you're in the special needs community the chances of you getting sexually assaulted jump dramatically something to, if you're a female with a developmental disability it gets to somewhere like 90% chance that you're going to be assaulted by the time that you're 18. And if you get assaulted once before you're 18, the likelihood that you're going to be assaulted more than 10 times is like, and so, man, let me tell you, Tom bleeds this issue because he, he checks his son like constantly when he comes home from the, the day school that he goes to. And so what I did was I wrote this, I wrote this massive Twitter thread about this is my friend, Tom, like, and this is what he lives. This is his lived experience. If something were to happen to his son, his son can't, can't verbalize. So I wrote this whole thread. Right. And, and, and so I was like, Hey man, I said a bunch of stuff about you on Twitter today. I just wanted you to know Tom's not on Twitter. 
And he said, that's funny. And I said, what, what, what do you mean? He said, the people from Baptist Press called me. They want to interview me. And I'm like, uh, you know, I, again, this isn't an ego thing, but I'm like, I know why they called you because somebody saw this thing that I wrote. And so they called you and you got like, I, I think you guys were talking about the idea of what voices do we pay attention? What, who do we amplify? We need to go out and look and find the people who are doing good. Yeah. And, and without turning them into these huge, unquestionable popes, right? You know, they, they, I think the joke is that for, for Baptists, like instead of having a pope a thousand miles away, you have a thousand popes a mile away, right? That's yeah. the that's Baptist life. We 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 don't want that. Like we we just we just want to point to people who are doing good and say that's good. We need more of that. Yeah. Well, one of the thoughts that I had as you were talking, Keith, was that you know, the, going back to the cup illustration, is that you know, for a long time, and this is as I'm thinking about the report, right? Like leadership had the cup. They got to tell us what the cup looked like. And, and a lot of this is taking the cup from their hands and handing it to the people and saying, look at the cup. And looking at people who have trusted leadership. And, and let's be honest, there's people who trusted leadership who are devastated by this news of how, how yes. what the scope of this, that like we knew this was a lot, but to be devastated and say, uh, I trusted that we, we were right, right? I want to give space for that. And it's giving the cup to them and saying, so what are we going to do? Like, how will we, how will we clean it? Here's a, a rag and here's, you know, some cleaning supplies and like, it's time to get to work, but it's putting the cups in the hands of the people to examine for themselves. And I, I think like this list is part of that, of like, this is how dirty the cup is. There's no looking away from it. I'm giving the cup to you. And now we get to decide we're either going to clean the cup or we're putting it away and we're going to try to hide it. And it does nothing, nothing for how dirty that cup is. And now we have full responsibility for how dirty the cup will stay. And so I think as we wrestle with like not just the SBC, but other reports that are, are happening, because there are other reports, there are, but the scope is not like this and the national coverage is not like this, but there are other reports and there are other um, abuse and scandals and all this that's happening. And it's saying that no, no matter how filthy the cup is and, or, or how not as filthy, I have to hand you this cup. I have to, to give you this and show you this and say, like, what will we do? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. So that, that's the image as, as, as completing this. And I think that image is going to stick with me for a long time of like, now that I've been handed the cup, what do I do? You, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that when I, when I got married, there was a, there was a distinct difference in how clean something was when I cleaned it and how clean it was when Nancy cleans it. Right. Like, you know, and even to this day, I'll be like washing something and I'll, I'll set it on the, you know, on the, the dryer, you know, the dish dryer. And she'll say, that's not clean enough, you know, <laughs> and it, it's a, it's a, it's a mini moment of sanctification, right. We're all, we're all married here. We all know what that's like. You're like, it is clean enough. You know, um, how dare you question me? my authority. Don't you know I'm a pastor, <laughs> you know, like, 
no, it's it's like and you got to like pick it up and and clean it. And I I think this is uh, uh, Sarah. You mentioned the um, the video out of Indiana mm-hmm. that the the video of that. I I think that maturing and awareness, like I don't know, I I I kind of don't want to put a timeline on this, but I think if if you roll back in my life, there would have been a time where I would have considered that great internet video, like wow, did you see mm. that guy get? Did you see that guy get what was coming to him? Like man, I'm gonna share this. That's not the way I feel about it anymore. Now I'm like this poor kid, like this kid, what the, the pain and the, 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 just sitting in church, you know, her family didn't know. And, you know, they, they kept this secret and she's had this pain and she's had to cover for it and act a certain way. Like that is so jacked up, you know, like we just, we need the, when the perspective shift comes, it's not just, oh my goodness, let me share this because this is this shocking moment. Look what happens next kind of YouTube video that, that people just are entertained by and then they move on. It's it's like, this is horrible. What I, what I think is different right now, and I, th- I think this is a, a me too uh, moment, but I think it's also in the nature of social media is that the church cannot control what's being said about it anymore. Like it used to be, you know, um, if we were all in the same village and, 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 and this was what was happening, there are people who could threaten your livelihood or threaten, you know, your image or your reputation, but online, there's none of that. People can just say, Oh, that guy hasn't been fired yet. Like that's not good enough. And 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 so I think there's real accountability now. Whoever that the girl who filmed that knew what was about to go down, right? I mean, she knew that 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 the other girl was going to get up and confront that pastor. And she's like, I'm recording this because man, when it's on video, it's totally different. And so so we're in we're in this place where we can say, man, that's not clean enough yet. Yeah. That's not clean enough. You know, nope, not clean enough. Yeah. And in the comments of it, the thing that that stood out to me is like where I saw it in the comments was a lot of. So after she leaves the the stage, then he comes back up and and people just gather around him to pray over him. And in the comments, people were like, "Where, you know, where is she? Who's gathered around her?" And like. You know, I don't know who's making those comments, who are saying that are these Christians who are observing a a matter within the church, or is this, you know, people who aren't Christians? But the it is the correct question. Why, why is this girl now outside of the sanctuary and outside of the fellowship of believers? And she is not prayed over. And she's just said, you know, I've been kept in a prison in this sanctuary for for decades. Yeah. And you all held the key. And so she she sets her she sets herself free, and then she is outside yeah. of the sanctuary and outside of the fellowship. And the right critique all over those comments were they are gathered. Why are they gathered around that pastor praying over him? Why don't we see? Why don't what happened? Where is she? What happened to her? This concern for the victim is the right response. And so when those things like 
there, I think there was a time that people would have been more like, the response would have been more like, look, that guy got what's coming to him. But I think that there is a shift and a growth and that growth is being worked out in comments like that. Um, when we've talked about the, the cup analogy, like I, I would assume that, that many of our um, listeners know what we're getting at. Like the, the, the outside of your cup is clean, but the inside's filthy. Um, and so this morning, like I was, I had that thought and it, and I, you know, some people are better at remembering where everything in the Bible is than me, but I rely on, thank the Lord for the search feature, you know? Oh yeah. And so I I put in like, it was like filthy cup, cup, dirty, dirty, you know, I'm like, like, come on, search feature, find something for me. How did, what was that? What did that say? Well, it took me to Matthew 23 with that out of it's in a section that's like titled the seven woes to the teachers of the law. And, um, and as I read them, it wasn't just this one thing about, um, presenting an image that's not what it is, but there are seven of these woes. And, um, I went through them and it's long. And so I sort of like summarized each one and just was shocked at how applicable they are it says woe to you you gatekeep the kingdom of god and you don't even come in yourself woe to you you go to great lengths to do mission work but the gospel you bring to the converted looks like nothing i ever suggested woe to you your allegiance is to the structure of the church and not of the heart of those seeking mercy woe to you you are experts at the letter of the law and yet you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Woe to you. Your highest concern is your image, but your insides are filthy. Woe to you. You are full of death, and all you want to do is make that death look pretty. Woe to you. You act like you are better than your history, and yet you murder my messengers still to this day. This is not as it should be, but it will be this way until you listen to the voices of those who cry out and until you welcome them and do what they say. I'm not coming back until you listen. And it just shook me. Wow. How how applicable each one of those is. Um, I thought about how this week, White McKissick tweeted, what does it say about the SBC that they are at the precipice of removing Johnny Hunt's name from a building and scholarships named after him because of credible allegations of sexual abuse, but refused to remove the names of men stealers, child abusers, kidnappers, and slaveholders. And this morning, Beth Moore tweeted this convicting thread that ended with, lastly, you know you need to take down the names of, on those buildings and institutions, not only of abusers and those who covered them, but also of slaveholders. One thing about sexism and racism is they love to hold hands. Sooner or later, you'll have to renounce the Southern in the Baptist. That those two in particular really stood out to me that we think were better than our history, but they really like say, this is, this is a deep, deep problem. This is more than 20 years. And, and the same kind of control and power and abuse crimes are perpetrated to this day. So when it is that like, when you look at scripture and it is so convicting, like these are our problems. These are the things that Jesus says, whoa, woe to you about. Like 
how do you manage the depth of that? You know, uh, it's the 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 whole. I think the McKissick tweet was motivated by Dr. Aiken's letter. Um, you know, Dr. Aiken is uh, president of Southeastern, and when the report came out, he made a statement and almost immediately and said, you know, that we need to consider where where names are, you know, like who which names are on campus, and so a lot of people said like, oh, you know, wow, the pretty high confidence then that people, you know, that people. I've been credibly accused or that there's some knowledge that something's gone wrong. You know, maybe there are, st- I, I, I think there's always more information flow. The things that are in the report, like people who are leaders now know more and not that they're sitting on it or holding it, but there's just people are now suddenly power shifting and people are opening up and, and talking about things. And so, um, you know, the, I want to say it was, Tuesday, Dr. Aiken posted a letter and he said, we're removing Johnny Hunt's name and Paige Patterson's name. And uh, one of my one of my pastor friends posted two pictures that they had removed the, the stone benches that you could sit on at different places of campus with those names on it. Almost immediately after that letter was posted, there, there were people saying, okay, this means it's time, right? Like it's time to consider it because the analogy, right, is it's 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 not that anybody wants to, I think, expunge Paige Patterson or Johnny Hunt from our history. You can't tell the story of Southern Baptist life and the conservative resurgence without them. And you can't you can't tell the history of Southern Baptists or even of evangelicalism in America without naming John Broadus or uh, I, I don't know all four of the names of the founders, uh, Basil Manley, right? Like you can't, you can't tell the story without them. That it, it, there's something different of erasing them from your history. There's something different about having their names on buildings, right? And 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 saying you are walking into a, a, splay, a space of learning that has the names of these these people who did something horribly offensive and if 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 we if we look at abuse um if we if we look at if we, if we look at covering for abuse or enabling abuse or making excuses for for proteges or people who've who've done abusive things to women well then gosh when we look back at southern slavery which was not idyllic lost cause theology likes to say it is the lost cause ideology how could we not you know how could we how could we leave these names here you know um i i do think it's possible to look at people and to say what good did they do and what bad did they do right and 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 if we believe the scriptures then every single human is going to go into that category right you know, every single human is going to have done some good things and done some bad things. And then we need to evaluate their legacy and say, do we do we think this person is to be celebrated? Um, I don't know how you can take the names of Paige Patterson and Johnny Hunt off buildings and not remove the names of the founders at this point. 
you know, and, and I do think that uh, just as many survivors, uh, my friend Brad and I met with a, a number, we, we met with a small group of survivors on Zoom last week, and we gave them a list of all the things that we were planning on doing. And we just asked them for feedback, like, is this enough? Should we change? And one of the things that they said is they want a memorial in headquarters, you know, in SBC headquarters, they want a memorial with with some names on it or, you know, some some recognition of the fight that it took to get the truth out. I think we could memorialize the name of the founders somewhere in a memorial, like put their display their names somewhere. These are the guys who founded it. This this is who they were. But should their names just be up without comment? I, I don't know. You know, we 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 believe we believe that the image of God is on every person. And when when someone has has done things that that violate that image in 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 horrible ways you know do we leave that out there um it's 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 tough for me i i look at i look at dwight and i look at the way dwight communicates um and i and i think like gosh i wish i knew him my entire life like i wish that i wish i had gone to church with dwight and i've been able to have his perspective in my life you know he's got a very relatable I, i'm I'm struggling because i don't want to use words that sound reductive like folksy i think he's just down to earth he speaks his mind and the people who oppose him so often on twitter they come at him with like this this huge these articulations of these massive social theories and third way and compromise and crt and all this stuff and i'm like gosh man stop laying it on so thick like the guy's just sharing his opinion you know, like let let he's a he's a he's a pastor who's been in our convention for a long time. Let the man speak. Is do we really think that he's like getting on Zoom calls with some cabal of these like horrifically manipulative socialist people who want to destroy the world? Like that's come on. Let the guy talk. And I think well, let me let me just say this. And I think like, man. If you walk into a building with the name of somebody on it and, and you think like the convention that I'm part of, that I'm, I, I, I labor with, they don't respect me enough to take the names of these guys who enslaved my forefathers off. Like, I'm like, man, I can make that adjustment for you because I love you. You know, like if you tell me this hurts you and, and, and I'm kind of like, man, it's just history. Like, yeah, I, like, do we love each other or not? You know, can't we can't we make adjustments for each other? My wife asks me to adjust my behavior all the time, and I do it because because we love each other. So anyway, sorry, I, I may have taken that question no, in a different no. direction. That's, it's perfect. Like I think about um, when you get to the end of that that section from Matthew twenty three, and like the the non, you know, I sum things up, but it says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Welcoming, mm. talking about welcoming the prophet, welcoming the one who calls out these woes. And so you, you talk about how you watch Dwight speak. And think to yourself, like, why won't you hear him? Why won't you just listen? And and 
you know, so like I think about that when I watch Beth Moore speak, it's like she, why won't you listen to her? And so like, I think it's important to like right above that, it talks about them killing, killing these prophets, killing the people who would bring that word. Like we should not be out for blood for those who would call us to a higher way. We should, we should not, we should not come with prepared to slaughter people. We should come prepared to listen and prepared to say, you know, blessed is this person who has come in the name of the Lord. Um, And so from people with platforms as large as Dwight and Beth to people with as small as if they only had a hundred people following them. Like I, I just want people to know to not, not stop talking. You know, the, I think, you know, we, going back to when we talked about the authority and online, you're not able to shut someone's mic off. Like, yeah. like if you have that for the, the prophet, for the people who have a word of the Lord for the church, like protect your pulpit, protect your mic. And if someone shuts you down, like, I mean, keep, if, if the Lord has a good word for the church through you, like, speak it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something about the, um, the, the, the way that we use Twitter, right. I, I feel like, I feel like when I, there are times when I look at, at the, something that Dwight or um, Beth, and I mean, maybe those are even too big accounts to reference here, but there are times where somebody's getting beat up for something they said, or there, there are times where somebody says something extreme. And I feel like the whole, like, there, there, there are these frequent, um, like discussions of the rules. Don't retweet that person. Don't quote tweet them. Don't post screenshots. Like, don't put that on my timeline, you know? And I'm like, I think at some point we have to comment on these things so that other people will see what reasonable people say. And so there've been a lot of times where Dwight has said something and it looks like, man, what, what is it about huge accounts too? There are people who've got lots of followers and it seems like they'll, they'll, they'll tweet 20 or 30 things and, and there's no comments on them. You know, like, how is that possible? How is nobody responding? But if I see 20 people, you know, piling on, on, on somebody, I'm always like, I just, I just want to go and I want to say something reasonable in there. You know, like I can see this person's perspective. Uh, and I think that's one of the ways in which we, we, we lend our voice to other people, you know, because I, I, I look back at this issue, you know, particularly this abuse issue. Um, I've said this multiple times in, in multiple uh, environments, N- none of the abuse that I've had to deal with in ministry has been like a situation in my church. Uh, it's been it's been people in relationships who've come to me and said, "I need to tell you something." You know, like they think that they think that my wife and I are somebody that they can trust, and so they unload. You know, my wife my wife has gotten in the car with people. She's just the kind of person that she gets in the car. If you're going on a two hour car ride with her, by the time you get out of that car, you've you've told her like your life story and your current 
biggest struggle. It's just who she is. Um, and so we've just kind of learned of these situations and helped, you know, it was, and, and, and I, I look back and there's been this continuous line of people who said to me, like, you need to pay attention to the voices of women when they speak up and they say that they need help. You know, you need to pay attention. And somehow, somehow defending the church, defending the truth has become like, you know, defending manhood, defend, like, like pushing, we, we can't let the women talk or when they do talk or when they express anger about something or discomfort, or they say, I don't like this idea. Like it's dog pile on the women and, and, and drown them out. Like that's, that doesn't feel like manhood to me. You know, uh, there's, there's room for letting people speak into the life of the church. So my, my friend Evan, and I'll, I'll zip it after I say this, uh, my friend Evan Snyder, who's not on Twitter anymore, he, he left a, a while ago. Uh, we, we, I meet with three other pastors on Mondays, and uh, we, just, we just have a thing where we kind of bear our soul um, and, and share. And he said, the gospel is a gospel about being loved. You know, the gospel is that God loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is a gospel of being loved, not a gospel of being right. We don't we don't win if we're right. We win if we expand the kingdom of of, of, of people that love Jesus. And so it's not like I, I don't know. It's truth is important because the truth that God loves you is worth defending, and there's a lot of details to that. But am I willing to humble myself and try to communicate and listen to people in such a way that we increase? the community and the kingdom. Like it's about, this is about love ultimately, isn't it? Isn't it about growing God's family? I don't know. But it, yeah. Again, I feel like I kind of didn't, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but I loved you. I loved your summary of the, of the woes. I think you should tweet that. That yes. should go out. Yeah. yeah. Send tweet. Hashtag drop the mic. Yeah. So as public as all this mess has been, and obviously with the, the, the report coming out and with, you know, back and forth happening in public um, and really it being a nationwide story, if not global, um, at times it can feel like, you know, it's the uncomfortable, especially if you're outside, you know, I, I happen to be inside the, the SBC. Um, but if you're, and I would say like, I'm like a fringe SBC. Um, but or SPC adjacent, as yeah. they say. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what I would say is that you, you know, um at times you can feel like you're watching people on the block just having a very public fight that you're like, I'm not really supposed to be in this, like, uh, this would be behind a closed door. But while the rest of us are just trying to decide, like, do we intervene? Do we mind our own business? Is this the time to handle the matter privately? Does it matter? Like, does it matter? Because the work is, we, we all agree that the work needs to be done, but does it be, need to be done in public? Does it need to be done in behind closed doors to rectify what's happening? Um, you know, the leadership structure, uh, what has happened? Like, is this a, hey, this is an SBC matter that we need to take care of, or does that work need to happen for reconciliation and um, restoration? Does that need to happen as publicly? as has uh, the mess has been. Does that question make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um, 
I think that Dr. Yarnell, who his his handle is Musings on Christ. I call him SBC Gandalf because he's like he's just like everything he says. I'm just like yes, I am Frodo and I'm small and I don't know the way. And you're like you're just he's brilliant. You know everything he says is smart. And uh, one of the things he said today is he said we this makes evangelism harder for us. Like it this this hits at ecclesiastical authority structures like the reason this was able to happen is because there were people who were in control of information um this happened behind closed doors and so can behind closed doors fix it um one of the things about the the nature of the way that sbc life has gone and i do think that this is you know we, we do the whole you know it's not a bug it's a feature meme you know um that's one of the acceptable twitter proverb forms um one of my favorites by the way the twitter proverbs i'm i'm addying out here for a minute uh is the whole like um men would rather do this than go to therapy thing i love that i love they're so funny they just make me laugh um and uh yeah one of the things about it took pressure and i think it took pressure from twitter i think that 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 this whole abuse thing i think it happened not on social media i think it happened on twitter that people connected they connected with survivors they heard the stories the stories were passed around you know uh krista brown has been has been trying to draw attention to this since 2006 i mean this has been a long time and we've hit this tipping point, I think, because of public scrutiny in these discussions, and particularly because the survivors are now able to connect and talk to anybody they want. They, they, they don't have the closed doors. I think that there are some things that can be handled behind closed doors, and I think that there are some things that should be. But when you're in a crisis like this, man, you can't close the doors and take it offline. Uh, you have to, you have to, it has to face the sunlight test. Um, I think that we're also living in a generation where there's lack of trust all over the place. And so increased transparency is just, is just a thing. You, we also need to teach people how to use what, what has been made transparent you know, particularly in the SPC, they published the book of reports, like all of the answers to the discussions. People are talking about NDAs online, you know, and the use of NDAs. Every single entity, uh, somebody made a motion that every entity was supposed to report back on the status of their use of NDAs. All that material is out in public. I think barely anybody knows that it's out there. Nobody's talking mm. about it. Um, but it's out there. Every entity gave a report. Some of them are really good. Some of them are like, I think you're trying to duck the question here. Um, but so, so there is an open process. It's just, do people know, do people know what questions to ask? Do they know, do they know what their rights are? Um, I don't know. Have you guys seen the article? I think it was Bob Smithiana wrote about how a little known rule saved the whole investigation. Did you see that? Saw they, the article, they, but I haven't, I haven't been able to read it. So the, the two guys who made the motion, this elaborate long motion, that's like, it, it's like a 
chapter out of Second Chronicles. Um, they made the motion, and um, the the way you make a motion, and then the platform, the, the people who are running the meeting, can can make a determination about the way the um, the motion is going to be disposed of. And so they said, we're going to refer this to the executive committee, which basically meant the executive committee is going to is going to investigate itself. And uh, J.D. Greer gave the ruling. It wasn't his ruling. It was somebody else's ruling. But he's delivering the message. And Grant and Ronnie, the guys who made the motion, are basically like, oh, well, I guess that's it. You know, we lost. And uh, one of our pastors, Todd Bankert, who knows the rules, like he's read the rule book, Robert's Rules of Order. People just people mock them and say that they're stupid. But one of the but one of the rules is that you can appeal the ruling of the chair. And so he went to the microphone. He said, I appeal the ruling of the chair. I like to make a motion. And everybody's like, what's happening? Because people don't know the rules. And so at that point, you take a vote. Is it seconded? You know, does it people lift their ballots in the hair that they're in the air that they're going to appeal the ruling of the chair? And then he gets to come. Grant comes back to the microphone and says, this is what I want. And I, this is I want a third party investigation and everybody gets to vote. And overwhelmingly it passed. Like, so it's, I, I think that the way that these things happen and this is this some of this might be SBC specific, but it's like. People need to know how their denomination functions. They need to know the rules. They need to know what questions they should be asking. Um, and, and, and that's how you move forward. That's how you, you deal with this stuff. So yeah, I, unfortunately, I do think this needs to be out in public. Um, but I think that, that means we get to repent in public. Mm. That means we get to broadcast when we make improvements. That means we need to we get to broadcast our changes and say, look, we think we're doing better on this issue. Look at our progress. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, so I, I wish it didn't have to be this way, but we had people who didn't do the right thing and people don't trust. We we deserve every rock that's going to be thrown at us in the media and on social media for a while now. We're, we're going we're gonna to deserve it. We, we need have a lot, a long way to go to rebuild trust. Mm. Yeah. Hey, do you have any thoughts before we do our last two questions? Yeah, um, hey Keith, I just appreciate this conversation. You know, I think even even coming up to this conversation, there was a lot of like, I'll be honest, like like I know this conversation is important, and I think for a little bit it, it was just like, okay, how does this fit into like what we do? But but I think even in the process of having the conversation was no, like this is what digital ministry is. This is what the power of online and the power of discipleship. And, and specifically one thing that, that has been in the back of my mind is we've been talking about people being able to find voice on Twitter, strength in numbers strength in numbers changed because for the longest time, these victims were alone. That's right. And now they're not alone. And now they have the strength in numbers. And I hope, like as much as, uh, uh, like, I think for me, it, it is both infuriating and, and hopeful 
that now, now, after all this time, there is voice. And there is hope in that because this is the power that is at our fingertips. That mm -hmm. something as big as the SBC topples at the hands of the power of social media and the power of giving voice to the voiceless. Yeah. Topples. It, it, like there is nothing infallible. There is nothing that is um, stronger than, than like the work of truth and justice in Christ. Nothing. And so, um, again, like I go back to what I said a few weeks ago. Like this work is, is not just powerful and effective, but it's worth it. And, and for those who have seen the changes from decades of work and now getting to see the culmination where like, I hope that, that we understand that the accelerant that online was the internet and, and giving people voice was, we want to talk about affecting change and let's talk sbc right who like hey who's the, the the movements that have happened who's the one person you're inviting to your church to to invite into relationship with jesus well guess what like with the power of the internet like the the these goals that we have in mind for for seeing the turn of baptism i just read that report for seeing the the the, the decline in church like you want to impact the world like, let this, the power, and let it move you. Let it not de deter you from what the internet can do. Like, let it be hopeful. Um, and that, the, for me, like, just the anger that, that rises in of, like, it took this long. And I'll be honest, like, I'm young, and, like, a lot of this happened before I was even around. But most, most of it happened, like, I, I just, I didn't understand. I didn't have access to this, right? Um, but to know that like some of this has been happening for just as long as I've been alive is, uh, and to know that for that long, like the internet helped and potentially allowed for it to topple. Like this is the tool that God wants to use for justice, for righteousness, to bring hope into the world. Um, I think that's my takeaway today. Um, yeah. Among all yeah. the other things we've discussed, among the the power of, here is what it has revealed, and here's where we stand as we we talk about abuse and and what it looks to rectify some of that. And I mean, there's going to be conversations for years to come uh, of what this means in in the church global. Um, but yeah, I I so appreciate just your um, your vantage point. I appreciate the work and uh, and what a blessing this conversation is. Uh, but before I close our show, we do want to hear these the stories, right? And, and you're a listener of the show, and I appreciate that. So you know the questions we're about to ask you. Um, but but they're important questions. I think I think we should all these are just good reflective questions. Um, Keith, can you just tell us a time that you've been trying to work at what God has given you? In all, in all of the work, you talk about your work, the joy of bringing people together, but, but maybe a lesson you learned from when it's gone poorly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think that, wow, that's a great question. And I should have come prepped with an answer, right? Um, I think that, that I thought that as a dad, that I would, I think I thought as a dad that, that raising kids would be a whole lot more programmatic, you know, and that they would, you know, that, that it would kind of be like just pour content into their heads and good behavior will result. I don't know why I thought this. I grew up in the church and that's not what happened with me. You know, I was, I was a rebel as a teenager. I think that what has made my relationship with my boys closer is being willing to acknowledge when I need to repent in front of them and being man enough, being Christian enough, Christ-like enough. Is that too much? Being humble enough to say, I screwed up, you know, I shouldn't have shouted at you. And, and then doing everything I can to like, bite my tongue and not say, but you did this, you know, and like blame mm. something on them. Uh, that my, my, my plan to pour a ton of religious content into my kid's head went poorly. Um, you know, but I, I, I think God, he's been, he's been good to us. Um, people love my kids. You know, they love, they love our boys. They say that they're, that they're sweet, polite, helpful, kind kids. And I think some of that is just, just getting real with them. And, and I, I call it big repentance in, in when I, when I preach or talk about it, where it's like, if, if, if you're in the middle of a bad sentence, like if you're about ready to say something that you shouldn't to your kid and you've already gotten three words out, like just stop. Repent enough to not finish the sentence and just mm. say, it's not okay. You know, um, being a perfect parent has gone poorly, but uh, God's been kind. He really has. So our last question is, tell us about a time it's gone well that you've been um, doing the work that God's given you to do. Um, particularly, do you have an example from being online on Twitter? doing that work there yeah 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 you know one of the big one of the big things that gets thrown around one of the scare concepts is that we're walking away from the sufficiency of scripture right you hear it all the time sufficiency of scripture um i think the sufficiency of scripture has a lot to do with faith and believing that god's word is true and should be obeyed no matter what uh, your circumstances your feelings or cultural trends you just you just stick to scripture. And uh, I'll tell you about a time when sticking to principles has gone well. Uh, I try I try to live that the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, you know, kind and, and, and correct opponents gently. I think it's gone well. I'm here talking to you guys on this podcast. You know what I mean? You guys are like, let's have Keith on. Like, you you invited me on. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. What is it? Friday, the report that says that that we have had a systematic cover up of of abuse released on Sunday, and you guys invited me on a podcast. Like, I I'd say I'd say God's been kind there because I I, I set out to be the kind of person that people want to connect to your, 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 Sarah, your woe was you gatekeep the kingdom and keep people out. You know, is this what we want as a tiny little tribe? 
or or do we want as many people as we can to 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 say like what are you all about tell me about jesus um i need to know more you know or or help me so i don't know i love i just i love i love being the kind of person and trying to be the kind of person that says hey like let's let's talk more about that let's maybe try to fix something so yeah yeah so i had i had one more thing on my heart to say and that is if you're listening and you've seen something that's off say something and if you are listening and you have something happening to you that it is not right say something tell somebody get help and there is not an ecclesiology in the kingdom of god that would say that you are not allowed to cry out for help and that you must be quiet when you are being abused that is not the kingdom of god yeah. that is a entirely different kingdom yeah 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 and find 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 someone that you trust who's yeah. going to believe you and, and then get them to get you to law enforcement. Yes. And if you don't, if you have cried out and people aren't listening, um, like I'm willing, you know, my, my Twitter at is Kinzer underscore Sarah. I'm sure that um, Hector and Keith would, would take a DM, you know, and see what is within our capacity to connect you with, with resources and help. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Just keep crying out until you are heard. And for those who are crying out on behalf of others, thank you. And please don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. 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 And I'll just say to you, Keith, like, thank you for your work. I don't know how many people would know the work that you've described today that you're doing. Um, thank you. I think on behalf of, of so many who... Um, have had their voices stripped from them. Thank you. One of the things that I also want to say to you as you were sharing those stories that touched me was that, um, and this isn't a dig to anybody, but most people share the stories that they got to be involved in. And in both of your stories, you said, God has been kind, God has been gracious, God has, you shifted your, the focus to God. And, uh, <laughs> If that's not the kingdom to, to say, look at everything that is before us and to say that, you know, good or bad, the Lord is still good and the Lord is still involved and the Lord still like has, there is hope yet in the Lord. And um, I just want to say thank you. I want, I want to, to acknowledge that and, and just thank you for the heart of not just a pastor, not just a leader, but of a shepherd. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me let me let me say this. Last thing I'll say. I appreciate you guys. I think that when sometimes when you read people's tweets, you're reading like propaganda. You know, you, it's you're like reading an agenda. And I think that I think when I read what you guys post, I see you. You know what I mean? And 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 there's a thing about doing a podcast about Twitter, which this kind of is like this kind of is a podcast about Twitter, but it's not like it's not talking about junk on Twitter. You know what I mean? Which is what it would be easy just to talk about. It's this is talking about like, why is 
why did God in his providence decide that Twitter should be? And it's this, isn't it? Isn't it like that that we get to say like, wow, we're, we like each other because we digitally connected and there's all these people that we can connect to. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate you guys. I think you guys are fantastic. I just appreciate your presence. Thank you. What a wonderful conversation. Um, hey, thank, thanks so much. Um, I just, we, we appreciate you listening. Um, I think a thought I had this week is I was just looking at uh, and editing another episode and, and having these conversations. You know, it used to be that Sarah and I went, man, can we get 30 minutes out of somebody? Like, we don't know. <laughs> and uh and here we are almost at two hours and uh and i'm a talker the, no but that's the normal now you know and like and i i'll say the same thing that i i shared uh with one of my church members um as i do a podcast for our church they're like i don't know that i have anything to tell the church and uh and i i think often that that's even sometimes in, in my head of like i don't know if i have anything to tell people who are online about all and, uh, and I just want to say that, like, these conversations have been balm to my soul. And the fact that we have people listening is balm to my soul and, and is uh, uh, encouragement. And my hope is that as you listen to this conversation, um, that you'll see not just uh, a conversation about abuse, not just a conversation about the SBC or the church that is... Um, the wrongness of the church, but that you would see that, that there's power and might in, in the name of Jesus as his people go out and, uh, and that these conversations would, would be encouragement. Amen. So thanks for, thanks for listening. And we'll see, Let me you see one last, one last thing. One okay. last thing. <laughs> years, years, years ago, Nancy was talking to two of our, our friends that went to the college and she said, she said that somebody said something encouraging to her. And she said, it's like in the Bible where they talk about the bomb of Gilead and the one girl, Taylor, she was like, there's a bomb in the Bible. What the bomb of what? And she like was screaming in our house bombs. Yeah, it was funny. Anyway, I love you guys. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much. Keith. Hey, we will catch you next week. Uh, Sarah, you got anything to say before I sign off? Uh-uh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I don't ever have too much to say. I'm just mm. a simple, a simple girl with just a few words. Mm. I love this. I'm starting a podcast and I have you guys on. Yes. <laughs> Woo. Do it. We'll we do love it. it. We'll hey, it. thanks yeah. so much for listening, y'all. And uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye.